Hey friends, this is Boss Barista. I'm Ashley Rodriguez. This is an episode a lot of people have asked for. We're talking to Jen Apodaca. She is the head of roasting for Royal Coffee in Oakland, California. And she's also the founder of the She's the Roaster campaign, which promotes female and gender non-binary roasters around the coffee community. And we kind of couldn't be more thrilled. Jen is a really honest storyteller, and we talk a lot about her career in coffee, how she approaches management, and just weave through all the different themes in her life that have to do with coffee and dealing with people and making the coffee community better around her. So this is actually going to be a two-part episode. So we've got about 30 minutes now. Next week, we're going to have another episode that dives a little bit deeper into her coffee career. So... Without further ado, here is Jen Apodaca. So today I'm in the studio. By studio, I mean the internet studio with Jen Apodaca. Hi, Jen. Hi. I'm actually super excited to do this interview because this is an interview that I have been asked to do multiple times by people. They're like, you should interview Jen Apodaca. And I'm like, yeah, I know. She's awesome. And I'm really excited that this is finally happening. So For those of you who might not know who Jen is, Jen, can you introduce yourself? Yeah. um, My name is Jen Apodaca. I'm a roaster, coffee roaster by trade. I I work as the roasting director for Royal Coffee um, in Emeryville, California. They're a green coffee importer. Um, I do a few other things. um, I'm also the second vice chair of the Coffee Roasters Guild. Um, I'm a Q grader. I'm the founder of She's the Roaster. And uh, yeah, and I am happy to be here. (laughs) Well, we're super happy to have you. So can you, I think what's fun about you and, and your experiences in coffee is kind of just like your journey into coffee. You've had a lot of like really interesting jobs and stops along the way. So can you talk to us a little bit about how you got started in coffee? Sure. My beginnings in coffee, um, besides like a second wave barista gig that I had in college in like 96 to like 98, um, my first job in coffee was, well, I was going to start my own coffee roasting business. Um, I had no idea that specialty coffee existed, hadn't, didn't, never heard of it before in my life. Um, on a whim or a suggestion of a college friend moved to Portland, Oregon um, with my partner of the time. And I was, had, had some money set aside and I was going to buy a coffee roaster. Uh, I started taking small business classes and it was super exciting. And there's seriously like no information about, um, how to start a coffee roasting business at that time. And everybody was pretty secretive. So I got a job as a waitress at a company called McMinimins and that company Um, sort of just serendipitously sent a notice they were hiring internally for a roaster apprentice. And I was like, no way. I I didn't even understand or know that uh, that company roasted their own coffee. So that was my very first job. It was 2004. And uh, I got hired as a part-timer. So I still had to work waitressing shifts to get um, full-time pay, but I made $10 an hour and I worked out of this tiny little um, facility in Northeast Portland that still roasts coffee today. 
um, let's see. There I was hired by this woman named Donna Maskell. Um, she is just, she's just a really amazing person. After she hired me, she told me the reason that she hired me, well, she wasn't going to hire me because I'm a Gemini, but because I gave the best answer for like what kind of coffee I drink. So apparently, um, you know, if you, if you're getting hired for a coffee roasting position and they, and the question, somebody asks you what kind of coffee you drink, um, the answers not to give are, um, I don't like the taste of coffee or naming a drink like a mocha or a cappuccino. I basically got the job because I named a Nicaraguan pea berry that I drank at the coffee shop down the street. So <laughs> I was just, I don't know. So I basically lucked into it. And I know a lot of people say that. And I, th I think that that was the case back in those days to get to get basically any time behind on the roasting machine. So I roasted for her for about a year and a half. My job was to roast on two machines at the same time while I had my back to them bagging up the coffee. No, that's ridiculous. <laughs> it, it's dangerous is what it is. It's, um, I did everything wrong. I did every single thing wrong. I didn't know about the Specialty Coffee Association. It was definitely around. There was a Roasters Guild. I didn't know anything about them. I didn't time my batches. I did weigh my batches, but I was overloading the drum on both machines like 100% of the time. You know, like what happens is, uh, you know, you'll hear a machine's capacity like, oh, this is a 24 kilo machine. So my boss's perception was that if it's a 24 kilo machine and you have, say, 16 to 20 percent um, weight loss after roasting, that means that you should yield 24 kilos, not put 24 kilos in. So we were overloading the machine every single time. I did some really delicious things that I'm sure a lot of specialty roasters these days probably have never done if they've never worked any kind of like second wave coffee. I've aroma roasted. I've flavored coffee by hand. All sorts of all sorts of stuff. What are what are both of those things? <laughs> yeah. So, aroma roasting. So, on any kind of coffee roaster, right? There when in the process of roasting coffee, you create two things. You create chaff and you create smoke. Now, the smoking point in Fahrenheit is about 360, 365 when the coffee starts to create smoke. So at that point, you definitely want to have airflow or some type of exit. So your exhaust air, you need it to be open. So that way that smoke leaves the drum and goes through whatever smoke abatement system you have, say. Okay. And if you instead, well, the one bad thing about opening airflow is that sometimes your heat goes with it. So a lot of roasters, what they do is they, they'll keep their airflow closed or, you know, just partially open for the beginning of the roast. And then just before the smoking point, they'll start to open it up and maybe open it up all the way. So that way they're not um, rolling the coffee beans around in their own smoke, creating a nice smoky flavor. And so when you close the airflow um, after first crack and you let it roll around in its smoke, you are aroma roasting because you want that smoky flavor. And uh, yeah, that was like the, that was the flavor description for that specific coffee rolling around in its own smoke. So that's aroma roasting. <laughs> 
Wait, what was the second one you mentioned? Flavoring coffee. So Oh, that's right. Just- How do you that's something that actually I've tried to find more information about how one flavors coffee and it's not easy. You know, it's easy, but it's gross. So um, you need to buy flavoring and it's um, there's lots of different companies that sell chemical flavoring. That flavoring comes in a nice little like squeeze bottle or um, just a bottle and you get your roasted coffee and then you drizzle the flavoring over it and then toss and that's it it's um you need very little flavoring it goes a long way it all smells like nail polish remover tight yeah it's so gross I mean I definitely wore a mask but um if you flavor coffee and I had to do mine um in like oh I we had this like giant um like stainless steel like salad bowl and uh, so then I drizzle the flavoring in like a spiral and then I'd have um, this like scoop that I would toss it with. So it's like tossing a salad, but I'm tossing beans in chemicals. And if it touches you, you'll smell like it like forever, like forever, meaning actually like three or four days, you'll smell exactly like it. Like it just stays on your skin. It stays on your clothes. It'll stay on your shoes. If you get it on your leather shoes, like say you wear leather boots and some gets on your boots, it might just stay, like your boots might just forever smell like Kahlua cream or whatever, whatever flavor you're using. What's, what's like the weirdest flavor you've ever flavored a coffee? Oh, well, we only had specific, we had specific customers who wanted it. And um, I don't remember most of the flavors, but they were, but the people who wanted their flavored coffee were very, very specific. So one person in particular really needed their coffee to be, um, I'm sorry, just a minute. I got to change it. Okay. All right. Hang I'm sorry, Ashley. No, you're good. Go for it. We've got a diaper change break. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I forgot that I went into the room where all of the diapers are. <laughs> no, this is how this is how audio is made right here. Is this how it is? Very good. This is how it is. Um, I mean, so I could keep talking about flavoring coffee. <laughs> well, people who like flavored coffee are super particular. So like one customer like knew that they wanted the Sumatran coffee, they needed it French roast and they wanted vanilla flavoring. So it was, they made up some, I don't know, like Indonesian cake or I don't know what kind of crazy names people come up with, but they all make up their, their own names. But the, the weirdest thing about that, about these customers is like, they loved it so much and I hated flavoring coffee. And for that company in particular, uh, we had McMinimins, we had like 65 locations and it was very few um, customers who wanted the flavoring. So I was just, you know, when that bottle ran out, I like didn't want to buy another bottle of flavoring. And I'm like, you know, I'm just going to cut these guys off. There's several people in Portland that can give them what they want that do this. No problem all the time, you know? So I was talking to one specific customer and he would come in like twice a year and he'd order like 50 pounds at a time of like his three favorite flavors that he needed. And I, you know, I told him, I'm like, Oh, well, thank you for coming in, Mr. Um, I can't remember his name, Mr. 
Mr. Bob, you know, like, um, I'm you know, we're not going to be offering this service anymore. Um, you know, typically we, you know, we're not really, we don't really do wholesale at this company and, uh, and we're, we're going to stop doing like special orders. Why are you crying? Okay. And so I, anyways, I told him that we're going to stop doing special orders and I'm like, you know, it's really not good for your health. You know, like, I mean, it's, I can definitely, I, I, you know, I don't like breathing it in and it, it must be, you know, pretty, I, I think that there's probably some, um, some, it's probably unhealthy to drink. And he just like cold stared at me and he's like, I'm 85 and I've been drinking this for 50 years. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> he's like, I'm not dead yet. Okay, lady. <laughs> so and I got called out on that. But, you know, I was like, well, I'm not doing it anymore. So, you know, I'm sorry, dude, but you're going to have to go somewhere else. So I refused an 85-year-old man flavored coffee. And it felt great because I didn't want to do it anymore. <laughs> that's that's pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome that you were just like, this is enough. We're done with this. So, like, what was the next step then for you? So you were working there for a while. It looks like you were in charge of a lot of things. You know, I was. And I, I didn't mention, but... um. After about a year and a half, um, well, maybe after about a year, my boss she she became really ill. She um, she got pancreatic cancer, and um, she she lasted for longer than they thought that she would. She ended up having stage four pancreatic cancer, and uh, and it was about this. So she died in um, two thousand and seven, and I can remember that because well, her belly was swollen with like, um, poisons and toxins. My belly was swelling cause I was, I was pregnant with my, my first child. So, um, they offer after she passed, well, before they, she passed, when she left, she had to go on, um, and get care at home. They, they offered, they offered me the job to like run the department and, and running the department sounds like a really big deal. And, and it was, cause I got to do lots. I was in charge of a lot of things, but running the department is, really a, t- a two person job. There's one person in charge and you have a roasting assistant. So I got a lot of really great experience and, you know, and I'm so grateful for that job. Um, and it's, it's just, just a weird, it always, it's always kind of awkward to talk about it because I lost, um, like my mentor and friend in order to get promoted, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. That does seem, that's, that's hard. What was next for you? Um, so I did, I worked for McMinimins for five years and at, at the end of it, um, it was, it was a good job. Uh, there's, I mean, it was very interesting for me as a new person in coffee. Um, I got to go to my first SEA expo. I learned about the Roasters Guild. I became a member. I got on the forum. Um, people, I, I was contact, I was emailing people all over, um, that were helping me. And so I felt like, I was getting a little bit better at what I did. And as I learned more and more, I realized that although my job was really great for me as a newbie, um, you know, I wanted, I wanted more, I wanted to learn more. And that job and specifically is, uh, you know, there's, it's, it's, I roast coffee for a hotel, for some hotels and some restaurants, and there's one type of coffee that they want. And it's, um, and then there's there's a whole world of coffee that I still wanted to explore. So I definitely wanted to get experience at a at, at a larger roaster that had like a larger menu of things, and so I can experience more things than just um, you know the the a dark roast and our you know like um, our breakfast blend, so to speak. 
So I applied for a job um, with Intelligentsia at Echo Cafe because they had recently they had re- acquired them um, in Santa Rosa, and they were the plans were to move them to San Francisco. And they were hiring for a production roaster and um, quality control specialist, and uh, and I'm from California, so I was like, I get to move back home, you know, like this this could be a really great opportunity. It seems like it's going to work, and uh, and I got the job, so. That was really great. So I moved everybody from Portland uh, back to Oakland in about 2010. And you worked for Intelligentsia from there? Yeah, yeah. So even though I worked for their Echo project, it, we were owned by Intelligentsia. So they, they um, we coordinated with uh, all of their roasting teams. So there were, when I started, there were three of us roasting shifts um, in Santa Rosa. and um, And then there were four or five roasters, I think, in at their headquarters in Chicago, and three roasters in Los Angeles. So I went from being like in an isolated bubble, like basically um, like a garage shell, um, to another garage shell in Santa Rosa, but um, with access to all of these roasters who had all these different ideas about what makes coffee delicious and how you should roast coffee and um, I went from cupping once a week to cupping um, twice a day or sometimes more. And um, and it was amazing. I, I That's where I really learned how to talk about roasting. Yeah, I was wondering if it seems like it was kind of a big jump from like your first job to this job at Intelligentsia. And I wonder, like, how did you feel when you got that job? Like, did you feel like, yes, I'm ready for this. I'm ready to learn. Or did you feel any sort of like, oh, wait, like am I supposed to be in this room at all? Like, Mm -hmm. is this the place, like, do I, like, am am I qualified enough for this? Yeah, I think I felt that. I felt like, am I qualified enough for this? Like, that's, internally I felt that, and I probably voiced that as well. But, like, looking back on it now, like, I don't think I gave myself enough credit, I have to say. Um, You know, I had had been running a, a department that was roasting um, oh gosh, what were we roasting about? Like 1500 pounds a week. Um, I was servicing over 65 locations. Um, I was ordering the coffee. I mean, I was the green coffee buyer. I was in charge of like profiling. Um, I was in charge of all of the equipment, making sure that, you know, it was, I was doing the ordering. I was doing the scheduled maintenance for everything. I even, remodeled our roasting space. I sold two roasters and bought a new one and installed that. So like, you know, I, I basically ran a roasting company, but here I thought like, even though I was basically running a roasting company, I like, I was like, I don't know, can I be a production roaster? You know? And a lot of that I think has to do with, I didn't know the language of specialty coffee and third wave coffee. Right. More specifically. Right. But all the get the job done, I knew all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. That that I think that it that just reminds me of like those moments where I think a lot of people make like their big jumps in coffee. Like I remember I was working at a coffee shop for a while that was like kind of on the verge of specialty, and then I got hired at a really nice coffee shop in New York City, mm-hmm. and I was managing it, and I was like, "This is like I don't know if they." they know that I don't know anything about coffee. And I, I have that same feeling when clicking back on that and being like, oh, I didn't give myself enough credit. Like, what was I thinking? But I think that everyone kind of has that moment where they're 
kind of wondering if they should be in the room that they're in. And it's, I think, encouraging to hear someone like you be like, why didn't I give myself more credit at the time? Yeah, I mean, for sure. Like I'd never had, um, you know, there were there were a lot of new experiences for me, like um, specifically coffee that um, that that we paid premiums on um, because they were delicious. You know, like that was not a focus for um, the previous company. So um, like Kenyan coffee in particular, like I, I was never, I never had the budget to buy a Kenyan coffee. So I mean, that was exciting. Not only just one Kenyan coffee for like the entire year, but like, you know, like oh, an entire container of several Kenyan coffees, you know? Um, so it was, it was pretty fantastic. It was really cool. And I developed my, you know, I cupped all the time with lots of people and it's really great to be able to do that and, um, really build your sensory memory and your vocabulary. Cause a lot of people, you know, I sure there's part, part of it is, you know, do you have the ability to taste? But really the biggest barrier for people when they first start cupping is um, not having like a way to communicate what they are tasting. And that is something that everybody can, can learn and do um, by tasting and tasting with other people and expanding upon that. So um, yeah, I really, I really learned a lot working for that company. I have to say it was pretty awesome. And I made some like serious friendships, like career long friendships with people as well. What was next for you? What was next for me is, okay, so we were in Santa Rosa. I roasted on an IR, uh, IR 12. So I was roasting on a Diedrich roaster, which is totally different from all of the probots that I was roasting on before. And we finally had um, the space in Petrero Hill in San Francisco ready to go. So um, I got to roast in San Francisco on a UG22 that was gorgeous. It was completely rebuilt by Steve Pardini, and it worked like like a dream. Um, and that, that was really cool. And as I was working there, um, a friend of mine had contacted me about a job opening um, for Blue Bottle in Oakland. And I lived in Oakland, and I've got... Um, and I, I thought about it, but I wasn't, wasn't quite, quite ready to take the leap. The job was, it was a different kind of job. It was, um, it was a West coast production manager for blue bottle. And so I interviewed for that job and it seemed like a really great fit. And it, my commute time was cut like tremendously. <laughs> it was like, instead of like, biking, busing, biking, um, and spending $16 a day for like an hour and 20 minutes to get to work. I am, it was like a seven minute bike ride. So all in all, it was pretty much a no brainer to take that job. And, uh, this all resonates to me as someone who has also lived in Oakland, but I feel like people might be like, Oh, that's exaggerating. And it's not even remotely at all exaggerating. Like I'm just imagining you having to bike from Potrero Hill from Oakland. And I'm like, Oh, I hate going to Potrero Hill because it's so far from BART. So it is. Yeah. So I would, I would bike from my house, which is on the other side of the lake over the hill to MacArthur BART. And then there's like a bike shuttle you can take for a dollar if you get there a half an hour early and beat the bike messengers. So you have to like be there super early and you get crammed on this little tiny bus that can only fit 12 people. And you go across the bridge and then they drop you off at like, um, oh gosh, what is it? Like second in mission, like really 
um, the, at Transbay Terminal, like near Embar- Embarcadero. Mm-hmm. And then I'd have to ride all the way to Petrail Hill after that. So it was a long trip. Mm-hmm. But before that, I was driving 51 miles each way to um, to Santa Rosa. So Petrail Hill was like way better than driving to Santa Rosa before that. I mean, I killed one of my cars doing that um, doing that drive. It's funny how many decisions get made by by commute times. Absolutely, absolutely. So then you take the job at Blue Bottle. Obviously, makes your life better because you're not commuting as much. But I imagine it's also different because you're managing all of this coffee for this huge company, only to get bigger. Yeah, tell me about that. Like, I can't even imagine what that must have been like. Yeah, that was that was pretty amazing. Um, I mean, the first thing that I experienced at Blue Bottle is one, just a different kind of culture. Like Intelligentsia had this culture of like competition. Like, you know, it was really important. Like everybody knew that like baristas were supposed to compete and win, you know, like Intelli had this, just this very competitive nature. And then I went to Blue Bottle and they're like, we don't really like competition. So we don't do that here, you know? And, um, and they were, it's just a different type of company, but then also like the menu of coffee was totally radically different. Like, um, all of a sudden I'm telling people how to roast natural coffee and naturally processed coffees. And I had never roasted a naturally processed coffee because I didn't have them. Well, actually I had a few when I was at McVitamins. Um, but like intelligentsia really, I mean, I think they're pretty much all washed coffees. I never roasted a natural, a single natural in my time there. So, um, so that was neat, but then trying to be the boss and telling people, you know, like, well, this is what we should do. This is how that coffee should be roasted. Felt definitely awkward at first, but I have, you know, the thing is, is that it's, it's, it's best to just admit what you know and what you don't know. And everything has the same process anyhow, you know, like if I don't know how um, if I don't know how to roast a coffee, say an Ethiopian natural coffee, and I have no experience, well, first thing you got to do is trial and error. You need to like roast your coffee, take great notes, cup every single batch, and then basically just um, keep working towards what works best until you find best practices. And um, and then as you do that process, you know I'm learning about the coffee and about our menu and what coffee like what not only how to roast a kind of coffee that I've never roasted before, but also what the company wants that coffee or has the idea that that coffee should taste like. Right. And, um, as I'm doing that process with my staff, I'm actually teaching them how to create a process to create a profile. So, you know, even though I didn't know what I technically didn't know how to roast that coffee, I didn't have all of the answers. I was able to like still be, like a teacher or a mentor in that capacity, best practices, so to speak. It seems like there's a lot of honesty in the way that you approach roasting coffee and also more holistically just doing your job in general. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I'm not very good at bluffing. Um, in fact, I hate gambling. So, um, I just, kind of refused to do it and for, for better or for worse, you know, like I, you know, I was never good at, um, negotiating salaries or anything like that. But, um, but, uh, 
I do, I do like honesty and integrity and I like humility. Um, I think also because I had these jobs that were, um, they were basically management. Like I wasn't, the way that I saw my role in almost every single job that I have is that I'm not the visionary. I'm here to execute the vision of the person that I work for. So at McMinimins, I'm executing their vision of what delicious coffee is. At Intelli, I'm executing what their vision of delicious coffee is, what they want on their menu, what they want people to, to know about them, what they want people to taste. And I did the same thing at Blue Bottle. So, I mean, I, I, I'm definitely, I have like competitive energy for sure inside me, but um, I try and leave my ego out of it if at all possible. So I want to do like two things. First, I want to like fast forward to now um, and talk a little bit about what you do now. What do you, what do you like about your job now? Like what, what like fulfills you in what you do now? We're going to find the answer to that question in next week's episode. Please stay tuned and thanks for listening. Boss Barista was created by me, Ashley Rodriguez, and made in collaboration with Good Beer Hunting, which is an industry-leading brand studio, editorial platform, and podcast devoted to the many issues worth discussing around the things that we eat and drink. You can learn more at goodbeerhunting.com. Please check out their website. There are so many incredible articles that I find myself looking at constantly over and over looking for advice about how we can be better in the coffee industry. They're doing a great job and they're helping us make this podcast for you folks. So goodbeerhunting.com. Go ahead, check them out.